This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Well, if you're excited about studying God's Word together this morning, turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you're not excited about studying God's Word together this morning, turn there anyway. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, you can use the Bible that is near your chair and you can turn to page 984. <clears throat> we've been talking a lot about the new life that Jesus gives us and we've been studying the book of Colossians. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the old self versus the new self and the new self practices that Jesus puts inside of us and works through us as we have responded to the gospel, and we talked last week in depth about he puts us, how he puts us in a new life community, that we are to live out these new realities, not just on our own, isolated individuals in the world, but we are to practice these things in community. And now we're going to turn another corner in this book, and we're going to see that there is no aspect of creation that God is not intimately a part of. And that God does not expect that we would align our lives under his lordship. And, and we're going to see that today in our homes. And we're going to see how the gospel is to take root and take effect in our homes as men, as women, as husbands, as wives, as children. And so there is something this morning for everyone. You're going to be tempted today as we begin our study that you say, well, I'm not married. This message is not for me. I promise you. That if you, are, if you are a human being this morning, there is going to be something in this message for every single one of us. I recognize this morning that when we even bring up the idea of a home, that that word itself brings up a myriad of emotions. For some of us, we have such fond memories of our childhood. We have such fond memories and thanksgiving for our parents because of the things that they did for us, the experiences we shared together, or even the way in which they gently and, and assertively raised you and reared you. I know that for others in this room, that idea of home or thinking about mom or dad brings up a whole host of, of really mixed emotions. And you can think of a lot of good things, but and a lot of rewarding things, but you can also think of a lot of regrets, and you can think of a lot of hurt and a lot of shame. And then I also know that expressed in this room this morning that our homes look very differently. I mean, there are some people in here who you have been married for decades, or you have been married for years. There are others of you who have already experienced the crushing defeat of divorce. There are children in this room who you have very uh, beautiful feelings and thoughts of when you go home this afternoon. There are others of you who go home and you even fear going home because of what might be waiting there. I recognize that in a room this size and because of the effect of people, human beings on human beings, that the idea of home brings up a whole host of emotions. I get that. I want you to know this morning that that's not always the way it has been. I want you to know this morning that when God created the home, when God created the family, when God created marriage, when God instituted childbearing and child rearing, it was perfect. And moms and dads and husbands and wives and children and parents walked 
were to walk in perfect harmony together. But then something happened, the Bible tells us, and sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, sin broke those perfect bonds. Sin broke those perfect expectations of relationship. And therefore, what has now happened, and and this is a very big, broad picture this morning of relationships and homes, but as a result of that, human beings have now trotted on this earth and pursued relationships and pursued marriages and, and given birth to children and related to children and children relating to parents in a very broken way. And a lot of times what we have done is we have tried to define these relationships ourselves in human terms. And we try to fix relationships from human, uh, and from human intuition and from human effort. And oftentimes we bring our broken relationships to God and say, this is what we have done. Would you just bless what we have created? Would you bless our ideas of the way this should work? But here's the picture this morning. Marriage and family, relationships, parenting, husbands, wives, it didn't start with us. It wasn't our idea. And so since it wasn't our idea, and since it wasn't our creation, I'm just going to tell you very lovingly today, we don't get to define the terms. We don't get to define the terms. We don't get to define the parameters. We don't get to define the roles. God does that. As a matter of fact, you can start here in your notes this morning. Here is the central truth. What God creates, he also regulates. What God creates, he also regulates. And we know from the scriptures that God has created marriage. He has created family. He has created parenting. He has created and ordained children and childbearing. And so since God has created those blessings those institutions on planet earth, he gets to regulate them, define them, and order them the way in which he pleases. And here's the picture. When we align ourselves under that order, we will be most blessed and we will be most fulfilled. But when we fight against that and we go on our own way, be ready for consequences. Be ready for ramifications because we are going our own way now. We're going away from God's creative design. I want you to see this in Ephesians 1.10 and Ephesians 3.14. Because Colossians and Ephesians, Colossians and Ephesians have a lot of similarities in their writing. A lot of similarities in their topics. A lot of similarities in the language Paul uses both to the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae. And we find out in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, we find out that God has a plan, right? So in verse 10 it says, As a plan for the fullness of time, To unite all things in him, in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Do you see the picture there? So what God has is God has a plan for all things, all institutions, all blessings that we experience. To unite all of those things under the lordship, under the leadership for the glory of Jesus Christ. And then we go over to chapter 3, verse 14. I love this. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. You see this? Your, your family, your home life, your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, 
every one of your biological families, of your homes, derives from the creative order of God Almighty. And so as a result, since he has created marriage, since he has created family, since he has created parenting, since he has created children, what God creates, he also regulates. So therefore, as his children who have been changed by the gospel, who have received his gospel, we now show the fruit of the gospel by embracing our given roles in the home. This is another way that we show the fruit of the gospel in our lives. So I want you to know this morning that each one of you has a role to play in your respective families. And we will show the fruit of the gospel by the way in which we embrace those roles and live out those roles. Now, prayerfully, that did an okay job of setting us up for Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Here's what Paul says. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Well, that seems simple and straightforward enough. You guys have a blessed day and I'll see you next Sunday, right? I mean, there really is, it's very hard to find other passages of Scripture that are just this direct. I mean, this is an expositor's dream. I mean, there are four verses. It's so easy to outline. I mean, wives, husbands, children, parents, right? So there it is, right there. Brothers and sisters, if we as individuals and we as families would simply obey and follow through on these four verses, how would it transform families all across this country and all across the world? right? But if only it were that easy. It's just not. You see, the outline today is very simple, but the charges and the principles found therein are extremely difficult. I'm just going to say that from the very beginning. These, these are actually even impossible things to do on your own. I'm going to say that from the outset, and then we're going to wrap that up at the end again. But these are very difficult things, and so for the sake of time, I just want to dive in, and we're going to talk to everybody today, okay? So first of all, here's how we show the fruit of the gospel. Every one of us in this room has a role to play in showing the fruit of the gospel in our homes. So wives, let's talk to you first. Wives, you show the fruit of the gospel by submitting to your husband. Well, that's not popular. And there are some of you maybe have already tuned me out. And could I just graciously ask you not to lean in, lean in and listen to me this morning. The world has so skewed this idea of submission. The world has skewed it and different movements have distorted it. And so I want to talk about what it is and what it isn't. Let's do a vocab lesson in this passage, in this paragraph, we see that wives are to submit. And then we look at verse 20 and it says children are to obey Oftentimes, we have gotten this picture that wives submitting to their own husbands, that somehow they are now slaves in the home to their, to their male counterparts, and they just simply exist to feed him grapes and fan him with a leaf and just make his life the best that it can possibly be and don't burn the toast, right? And that's the idea that we get of submission. And if, and if a wife wants to do anything, that she can't do anything without running it by her king sitting on his throne, 
in his home. And it's just simply not the picture. The Bible doesn't say wives obey your husbands in everything. The Bible says submit to your husbands in everything. There's a difference. As one commentator puts it, obedience naturally fits a situation in which orders are being issued and in which the party obeying has little choice in the matter. Submission, on the other hand, suggests a voluntary willingness to recognize and put oneself under the leadership of another. And the reality is God has written submission into the code and fiber of every aspect of human existence. We as Christians are to submit voluntarily, willingly, recognizing and putting ourselves under the authority and leadership of Christ, under God Almighty. When you go to your employer tomorrow morning, you have submitted yourself under the leadership and the authority of that employer. And in the, in the body of Christ, the Bible says that in the body, as we relate to one another in the body, we are to submit ourselves under the authority and the leadership of the elders and the pastors of the church. And what God says is in the order of the home, if the home is going to have order, there is an authority, there is a leader, and that leader is the husband. And the wife is to submit herself voluntarily under his leadership. And so, wives, this means this morning that you are not inferior. It doesn't even mean that there are many things that you can probably do better than your husband. And when a, and when a marriage is working really well, he recognizes that and he empowers you in those things that you do better than him. This is not an issue of superiority or inferiority. It's not an issue of greater than and less than. It's an issue of order. It's an issue of order. And so the question is, is are you going to submit to your husband and graciously defer to his leadership? And what this means, it means ultimately that you respect your husband's leadership. You respect your husband's leadership. We read this here. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. If you just turn back a few pages to Ephesians 5, which really is probably the definitive paragraph in the New Testament speaking of husbands and wives roles you read it again in chapter 5 verse 22 of Ephesians Paul says wives submit to your own husbands you're not to submit to someone else's husband you're to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We need to understand the difference between indicative and imperative. So imperatively speaking, submit is a command. But listen to the indicative of chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And so here's the reality. In our marriages, what should be taking place is that on a daily, hourly basis, there is a conscious willingness, a conscious uh, action of saying, I am going to do what the scriptures say is already reality. I want my life, I want my family to mirror what Christ already says is a statement of fact. 
So we see it in Colossians, we read it in Ephesians, but I want to go all the way back to the beginning. And I believe it's worth our time here exploring this this morning. Would you go back with me all the way to the book of Genesis? Because it's very tempting to think right now that, well, the reason that submission exists is because Paul was a single guy who was just a chauvinist, and he just didn't really like women very much. And so this was Paul's idea. This wasn't God's idea. But let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis and see that it is God's idea and how he wrote this into the creative order all the way from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, it reads this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this, by the way, let us make man is humanity, mankind, in our image after our likeness. When we see those words, us and our, we're already getting a glimpse of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. goes on to say, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let me stop right there very quickly. I want you to see a couple of things. First of all, I want you to see that God is creating male and female. And secondly, I want you to see that he is creating male and female in his image, in his likeness, to be his representative on earth, to care for the creation, to have dominion over the creation, to subdue it, to lead it. And I want you to see that he does not give this, he does not give this commission to the man. He gives this commission to the man and the woman. You see this several times in this passage. It says, let them have dominion. In verse 27, in the image of God, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. And so what you see is God is creating man and woman to work in partnership, to have dominion over the earth and to be his representatives on planet earth. You go over to Genesis chapter 2, and in verse 5 and following, you're going to see that God is going to create man. Well, then you go over to verse 18, and God creates woman out of man. And so in verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So here's, you see, here's where you see the creative order. God creates man first, looks at man and says it's not good for him to be left alone. It doesn't say that it's not good for woman to be left alone. And so God created her a helper fit for her. It says that it's not good for man to be alone. And so God created a helper fit for him out from him. So what we see immediately, and I'm going very quickly here because of time, is that we see that God has a creative order. He has an order. He created man. He created woman out of man. And so you see even there that God has made man the leader in his home, but you go over to chapter three. So they're working in great, they're working in great partnership. They're working in great continuity, seamless, perfect relationship. The Bible says that the man and the wife, the, the man, the, the, the wife and the husband were, were in each other's presence and they were naked and unashamed. No comment on that. You can talk about that later when you get home, all right? Perfect perfection 
And then the fall happens. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know what happens, that, the, that God gives them one prohibition. You can do anything and everything in the garden except eat from this one tree. And what that tree, what that tree represented was that, yes, you were made in the image of God, but you are not God. You are dependent upon me. There are certain things that you're dependent upon me for. Don't do it because the day you do it, surely as you do it, you're going to die. And even implied in there is a warning. Surely as you do it, all heck is going to break loose on planet Earth, literally. And so they do it. And all heck breaks loose. And here's what I want you to see in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And all the moms in the room said, Amen. In pain you shall bring forth children. But here it is, brothers and sisters. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So this perfect created order that God created, where woman comes out of man and they're walking in perfect unity and perfect relationship, it's now broken. And God says, as a result of sin now entering into the world, you are not going to be satisfied with your role in the home. You are going to desire to lord it over your husband. You are going to, you're going to desire to be on, on, on equal roles in the home with him. Yes, you're equal in creation, but you're also going to want to have equal role. And so your desire is going to be wanting to rule over him. Your desire is even going to want to be head of the household. But then also look at the man. He's going to be skewed too. But then, his, but then he shall rule over you. So then what a man is going to do is he's going to, uh, obfuscate his responsibilities and he's going to go one of two ways either he's going to passively let you take the role in the home and he's going to he's going to pass on his role to you or in an abusive domineering way he's going to force you to bow to his wishes and think that domineering over you is what it means to be a leader in the home here's the picture brothers and sisters the picture is that because of sin what we as humans have done is we have messed up god's good creative order and with sin running rampant and desires running very deep and opinions running the gamut on male and female roles, it makes the radical call of the gospel even more radical, doesn't it? And it makes the commands of the scripture like even more pertinent now, right? Because if the gospel is going to take root in our lives, it's to take root in all of our lives. And so what Paul is doing here is he is seeking to bring us back to God's good created order. So wives, this morning, would you submit to your husband's leadership? Would you stop fighting against him and start fighting for him? Would you, would you cease disrespecting him by calling to attention all the ways in which he's failing you and failing your home? And would you start encouraging him and blessing him in his leadership? When he tries really hard, don't look at him and say, well, you're only doing that because somebody told you to. When he tries really hard and he gets it wrong, don't say, well, that was great, but you still need to do X, Y, and Z. Bless him. Encourage him in his leadership. Push him towards greatness don't beat him down don't disrespect him a man at the core of how god has made him longs for respect longs for validity as a man and the more you stoke that and the more you encourage that you're only also going to bless yourself because you're going to be giving life and encouragement and vitality to your husband so rather than fighting against his leadership fight for his leadership 
and bless his leadership this morning. So respect your husband's leadership, but I also want to encourage you to do this this morning because this is hard. I recognize it. I don't know what it means to be a woman. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I'm giving you that concession this morning. I'm recognizing that it's hard. But because I recognize it's hard, I want you to go back to Colossians 3. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Here's why you do it. Don't do it because Pastor Chris told you to. And don't do it because your husband's demanding you to do it. Do it because the Bible says it's fitting in the Lord that you do it. So yes, respect your husband's leadership. Secondly, trust your God's design. This is ultimately an issue of trust, sisters. Trust your God's design. If it's just left to your feelings and your desires, they're going to lead you astray, just like they're going to lead your husband's desires. His desire is going to lead him astray. Trust your God's design. So wives, show the fruit of the gospel by submitting to your husband. Husbands, let's talk to you for a moment. Husbands, you show the fruit of the gospel by loving your wife. You show the fruit of the gospel by loving your wife. So as difficult as it may be for women this morning to hear the word submit to your husband, look at the hard charge given to husbands. Verse 19 says it very succinctly, but when we couple it with other passages from the scriptures, it gets much more difficult. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In either Jewish culture or Greek culture in the first century world, it would not have been radical for people to hear, submit to your husbands. Because it, when you're living in a world where women were really given nothing more than second place, and marriage was nothing more for many people than a contractual obligation where wives were simply seen as the people who were just to clean up the house and make the meals, care for the children, and even propagate children... That would have been radical. That would not have been radical to hear, submit to your husband. But what would have been radical is for men to hear, husbands, love your wives. Sacrifice for your wives. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ now breathes life into the marriage bond that God intended from the very beginning to bring us back to his original That men are not to domineer, men are not to be just simply authoritative, men are not to be abusive, men are not to be the kings on the throne with subservient women all around him. That's not the picture. The picture is a leadership that looks like Jesus. And so wives, I recognize today that you have a difficult role, but I also want you to recognize this morning that your husband's role is just as difficult and perhaps even more difficult. And we should recognize that this morning and embrace it. Now, men, I want to talk to you just briefly about how you can love your wives, how you can exhibit and personify this agapao, agape love of God that is looking out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of your wife and your family. First of all, I want you to see this. Lead her humbly. Yes, God has ordained you to be the leader of your home, but he has not made you the dictator of your home. He has not made you the monarch of your home. You are to lead, yes, but you are to lead humbly. I love 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 to this, in this respect. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, Paul writes this, But I want you to understand 
that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. A couple of things here. First of all, I want you to see that this passage beautifully illustrates God's passion for order. Does it not? You see it in three ways. That the head of every man is Jesus. So you want to lead humbly men? You lead humbly recognizing that whatever leadership that has been entrusted to you, that it has been entrusted to you. You don't get this leadership just by default. God has entrusted you to be the leader in your home. And so you lead humbly because you've got to recognize that you answer to someone too. You yourself are being led. You yourself should be being led by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the ultimate leader. So you lead humbly, recognizing you're not simply the king of your own domain and you just get to call all the shots. But you're leading humbly as you are humbly being led. The head of the wife is her husband. We already looked at this. And the head of Christ is God. Brothers and sisters, if you have not been convinced so far on the God's passion of order, you even see God's passion for order in the Trinity. Every member of the Trinity is equal God, is equally God. But yet every member of the Trinity has a role to play. And Jesus Christ himself recognizes that in the creative or in the uh, in the order of God Almighty and his in the Godhead, his role is to submit to and put himself under the direction of the father. We we lead. Yes, men, but we lead humbly. Secondly, Love her sacrificially. Love her sacrificially. Back in Colossians 3.19, it says, Husbands, love your wives. That agape love of God is a sacrificial love. And that sacrificial love has been demonstrated in no better way than in Jesus himself, who sacrificed, gave his own life for the sake of his church. And so, men, I ask you this question today. Husbands, Are you ready to give your life for your wife? Are you ready to give your life to your kids? And there are many of us who have grown up with this hyper sense of masculinity that you would say with toughness, with your NRA sticker on your bumper sticker to say, yeah, if somebody comes in my home, I'll stand in between them and my wife or me and them and my kids. Like I will beat them down. I'll pull the trigger. I will fight for my home and I will literally give my life for my family. And here's what I think in the United States of America. I think there are many men who would say, I'm willing to lay down my life literally physically for my family, but they're not actually going to get my life. They're not going to get my time. And they're not going to get my energy. And they're not going to get my daily sacrifice to what I want and what my pleasures may be. May be. I'll give my physical life, but I'm not going to give my actual life. And I want you to know today that if you're not willing to give your actual life, you're not really willing to give your physical life. And I would even say if you just want to be the macho guy with the NRA sticker, you're not as macho and masculine as you think you are. Because real manhood is the man who will look any day and say it's not about watching the game right now. It's not about just taking the nap. It's not about saying I've got off at five o'clock, I'm done for the day. No, when you come home, it's part two. It's time to put on the work. It's trying to put on the work mindset and get your hands dirty and cultivating and nurturing the hearts of your wife. 
and the hearts of your children. And so men, yes, lead her humbly, but love her sacrificially. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5, right? I mean, this is what Paul tells husbands in, in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's your example, and that is a high calling. Love her sacrificially and live with her understandingly. So lead her humbly, love her sacrificially, and live with her understandingly. Colossians 3, verse 19 says, Do not be harsh with them. Well, Chris, I was tracking along with you, but now you're meddling. You're poking the bear now. Right, let me do it. Let the scriptures do it. You don't be harsh with them. Ladies, I want you to know that one of the predisposed Uh, manifestations of the sin nature in a man is pride. And one of the ways in which the sin nature has manifested itself among a lot of men is is a a quick temper and frustration, anger, things like that. I want you to know that's just innate to a lot of men because of the sin nature. And men, I want you to know that where that comes from. But what the gospel tells us, guys, is that we don't just sit back and just say, well, this is the way I was made. And this is just who I am. No, instead what we do is we submit ourselves under the lordship of Jesus and we say whenever that temper is raging or whenever that frustration is brewing, instead we die to ourselves and we exercise self-control that the Bible talks about that's a fruit of the Spirit and we're not harsh with our wives, we're not harsh with our children. Instead, we seek to be gentle, we seek to be respectful, we seek to be understanding. We seek to ask questions of our wives. Trust me, they want to be asked. What do you mean by that? Why did you respond that way? What happened today that I'm not aware of? What most do you need to hear from me right now? What most do you need from me in help right now? Instead of lashing out, instead of being harsh, we seek to understand our wives. Dr. Andreas Kostenberger, who's a professor at Southeastern Seminary says this, this leadership and submission, so this leadership of husbands, this submission of wives is to take place in the context of a true partnership in which the husband genuinely values his wife's companionship and counsel and the wife sincerely esteems her husband's leadership. You see, men, being the leader doesn't mean you just to call all the, you get to call all the shots. You listen to your wife. You ask her counsel. You ask for her wisdom. You ask for her desires. You involve her in what you're thinking. And ladies, as as you do that, then what you do is you trust that he's listening to you and you trust that he has the best interest for your home and for your family. And as you work on that symbiotic give and take and that partnership, you display the beauty of what Christ is calling us to in the home. You see, one of the devastating effects of the fall is that many of us approach male-female relationships in adversarial terms. And we're already coming in with defensive postures. But as people changed by the gospel and grace of Jesus, we are to be peoples in our homes who were living under an economy of the grace of the gospel of Jesus, constantly giving people, giving the other the benefit of the doubt and seeking the other's best interest. And as we do that, brothers and sisters... I truly believe that God will empower 
each one of us to receive our given roles in the home. And not only to receive them, but also to rejoice over them and to rejoice over God's created order. So wives, you show the fruit of the gospel by submitting to your husbands. Husbands, you show the fruit of the gospel by loving your wives. Now let's talk to the children. Do I have any children in the room this morning? If you're a child in the room, would you raise your hand? Are you with me? Okay, so if you're, if you're taking a nap, you can wake up. If you were coloring or whatever, you can put that down. I'm going to talk to you for a moment, all right? There's a part in the sermon today for you children. Now here's the encouraging thing. In a world, in a first century world, right? If this was a movie, in a world, right? So in a world where Paul is writing where children were not even thought of to be even really contributing members of the household, Paul actually writes in a command, an admonition to children. And so children, I want you to know today that you are validated by God. And you are an important part of your family. Your family and your household is not, does not consist of simply mommy and daddy or auntie and uncle whomever. You are an important part of your family too. And you're so important that God wrote a command and a part for you to play in your household. Now here's what I want you to know. In the Old Testament of the Bible, honoring and obeying your mom and dad was mandated. And disobeying your mom and dad was actually a huge deal and would even invoke judgment of God. And I don't know what all that means, but I know that it doesn't mean, it's not good, okay? You don't want judgment from God. And disobeying your parents was actually put on the same level as committing treason or worshiping idols or bowing down to statues. But then in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, the first four of those ten are talking about our vertical relationship with God. But then the last six of those commands talk about our horizontal relationships with people. And the first relationship God command, makes a command of in the Ten Commandments is about parents. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, God says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And this command was so important that God gave that in the four Gospels of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus quotes this verse Five times. So children, I want you to know this morning that from God's perspective, it is crucial. It is very important. God is pleased when you obey your mom and your dad. And so I want to talk about this in a couple of ways. Children, I'm not done with you yet. Still, still listen to me, all right? I want to talk about this in two ways. Number one, obey them in your youth. Obey them in your youth. If you are 18 year, if you are under 18 years old, it is your responsibility from God to do what your parents ask you to do. If they tell you to clean your room, you don't ask why you clean your room. If they tell you to stop fighting and you stop arguing, you stop arguing and you stop fighting. Because God tells you to obey your mom and your dad. Now, when you grow up and you become 18 years old and you move out of the house and you're paying all the bills 
and you're paying the car insurance and you're paying your own cell phone bill, then you don't have to do what mom and dad tell you to do anymore. However, that doesn't mean that you stop honoring your mom and your dad. So now let's talk to all of us in this room. Yes, you obey them in your youth, but you respect them or you honor them all your life. There have been times in my adult life where my grandparents or my parents, I know because of the wisdom of God or, or because of what I know to be true in the scriptures that my parents and my grandparents were wrong. And so I didn't listen to them and I followed God instead. But I still honor them. I still respect them. I still give deference to them because they're my mom, they're my dad, they're my grandmother, my grandfather. And here's what the scriptures are telling us here in obeying or honoring and respecting our parents. It's that the reason you do it is not because they're always right. Parents, don't get mad at me here, okay? Children, your mom and dad are not always right. They're imperfect people. But guess what? You're imperfect people too. And so your mom and dad are going to make mistakes. So you don't obey them just because they're always right. The Bible tells us in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 20, why you obey them and everything. Look at it with me on the screen. Children, obey your parents and everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. That's your motivation. That's why you do it. You obey them and you listen to them because it pleases God. So children, you show the fruit of the gospel by obeying your parents and everything. One last group here and then we're going to be finished. Parents. Parents. Is there any more difficult job on the face of planet earth? Okay, I have worked with college students now for about seven, almost 17 years. And see, I get them fully cooked, right? And so I know that from the time I spend with college students, I love them dearly, but they frustrate me greatly at times. And so I see this with veiled face, right? So I understand that parenting is extremely, extremely difficult. To make it even more difficult, listen to what the Bible tells you. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I want to flip back over to Ephesians chapter 6, because Ephesians chapter 6 is going to unpack this a little bit more. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's what I want to do. I want to marry Ephesians 6, 4 and Colossians 3, 20. One for our last little bit here. There is nothing more discouraging to me than when I'm at the mall or when I'm walking through downtown or being at Target and I watch a father or I watch, watch a mother publicly defame and humiliate their child. And you want to talk about a defense mechanism. What I want to do is I want to go over and say, look, I get it's hard. I get that. I get that it's difficult, and I get that they are exasperating you in so many ways. But you just cannot respond to them this way. 
Parents, I want you to know today more than anything, and I, I really believe this, and I'm no expert on parenting, but I really do believe this. Your words matter almost more than anything else you do. And if your children remember you for all the hurtful, humiliating, and just spirit-crushing phrases and responses that you give, you are harming your child in so many ways. I'm going to tell you, there are so many parenting practices. Like We're always debating, like, man, this is the only right way, and this is always wrong. And unless you parent our way, like you are like totally a bad parent, right? So we know that's kind of like the way the world works. I want you to know here from, from the scriptures, there is no one right method of raising your child. There are many different practices you can implement, and there are many different methods that you can use because, look, children are as different as night and day, and anyone who has more than one, you know that, right? And so we, we worry ourselves so much, like, am I, going to, am I going to just mess my kids up for life, right? If you watch your words and you watch your actions towards them and the way you react to them when they're misbehaving and and you're more gracious than you are lashing out at them and things, I, I promise you the Lord will work out the rest. I may be oversimplifying here. I just want you to know that what you say matters. And you know why I know what, says, what you say matters? It's because as I sit down with 20-somethings and young adults and I'm in premarital counseling with them or I'm just in discipling with them, and they're unpa I'm unpacking with them so many things they're dealing with today because of what mom or dad said when they were eight or when they were 12. Your words matter. Your words matter. And the way you respond to them matters. I know you're imperfect and there's grace for that. But the question today is what's the pattern of your life? And the pattern should be nurture. It should be nurture. There are three things I believe that these three verses, these uh, couple of verses teach us. So parents, number one, teach them well. Teach them well. You need to know this morning that when, when, you when you stand before God one day, Mill City Church is not going to be the primary accountability for your child's discipleship and instruction in the Lord. God's not going to ultimately hold us as a church accountable before he holds you accountable. And so you need to know that you cannot outsource the Christian education of your child to this church to me, or to our children's ministry. And so I want to encourage you, however you want to do, and there's some great parents in our, our church that are very imperfect too. Trust me, I know them. But they, but they love Jesus and they lead their children well. Read the Bible with your kids. When you go home today and you're sitting at the lunch table, ask them what they learned in church today. Ask them what God said in the message today. Ask them how they're growing in relationship with other believers, older and younger, in the faith community. Teach them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. If you're not doing that at home, I assure you, this will never be enough. And so teach them well. Secondly, discipline them well. Back in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Bring them up in discipline and instruction. We've looked at instruction. Discipline... <coughs> Is not just about correcting them. It's not just about punishing them. It's also about setting up 
uh, practices in their life that are good and healthy and right. You think about a tree. When you plant a new tree, what do we do? We put stakes around it and we tie rope to it. Why? Because it keeps it erect so that as it is, as it is growing, it stays straight. And it doesn't grow this way and it doesn't fall over in a wind. And so I want you to think about your children like that. The Bible even calls them trees, right? And they're growing up under your care. And so one of your responsibilities is placing those stakes around their life and tying the metaphorical rope to them. And that's disciplines, whether it's reading the Bible or teaching them how to pray or when to get up in the morning and when to go to sleep at night or how to respond when they, when they disagree with you or how to apologize whenever they've done something wrong. Like we put stakeholders around them so that they grow up with the right discipline. So not just the right instruction, but also the right practices through discipline. So discipline them well. And lastly, lead them well. Verse 21 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now the reason why he's saying fathers and not fathers and mothers is because in this patriarchal society, remember, a father, a husband, had ultimate authority in his household. And I want you to know today that this passage is teaching both mothers and fathers. But dads, I want you to know that God has put you as the ultimate responsibility in your home. And so you can't just outsource the rearing of your child or your children to your wives. Sure, they nurture them in ways and probably even spend a lot more time with them than you do. But it doesn't mean that you're absent and you don't have a role to play. Parents, lead your children well. Well, Chris, how do you do that? Well, we could do a whole hour on that, and I'm not sure that I'm the best person to give that advice. But let me tell you what I think it at least means. I really believe it at least has to mean this. When the Bible says, don't provoke your children... Or don't exasperate your children. When your children lash out at you. And your children are yelling at you. And your children says, oh, this is not fair. This is the worst house ever. We don't respond with, then why don't you move out then? Get out of here. Do you know what I do for you? We don't provoke them we don't come down to their level may i remind you you are the adult and they are the child and so no how no matter how hard they push your buttons and no matter how much demonically influenced they are <laughs> and no matter how much crazily wicked they are you are the adult Act like it. And here's what I really believe, moms and dads. When you respond to them in a way that is adult-driven and gospel-driven, you are leading them because you are showing them how foolish their behavior is and you are showing them what gracious behavior is. Let me give you one more practicality and then we're going to have to close. Moms and dads, one of the greatest gifts that you will ever give your children in leading them well is telling them when you are wrong. Telling them when you have made a mistake. Confessing to them that I am a sinner. 
honey, I am a sinner just like you're a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, sometimes I don't do the right thing. And there are times when I say the wrong thing. And there are times whenever I lashed out in anger. And I should not have done that. I am sorry for that. Will you forgive me for that? You are teaching them the gospel in that moment. And you are creating an environment whereby your authority is not compromised, but you're showing them humble authority. And you're not exasperating them or provoking them to the point that when they reach a certain age, that they say, I'm out of here. Now, does that mean that they won't do that anyway? Nope, it doesn't. But here's the deal. Hear my heart on this. If your child goes wayward, I I want it to be because they're just sinners And they're being obstinate and wicked. I don't want it to be because I pushed them over the edge. And so moms, dads, nurture them. Teach them. Correct them. Lead them well. I got one last thing here because I started at the very beginning saying I know that we're coming from so many different places. And now that we conclude this morning, I want to also recognize that I know that this message is probably received in a multiplicity of ways. Some of you hear this and it's a relief to you. There are others of you that hear this and because of the way in which your mind and heart is wired, you're just being beat down and weighed down going, I don't think I could ever do this. Here's where we need to rest this morning. Regardless of whether we're a husband, whether we're a wife, whether we are a child, or whether we are parents, Here's what our confession should be today. Our confession should be, Father, we desperately need your grace to live out your design in our homes because we can't do this. We're not predisposed to living this way. We're predisposed to messing up the order. We're predisposed to thinking that our order is better And then we suffer the ramifications of that and ask ourselves what went wrong. I want to ask you today graciously and patiently, but also with a submitting heart. Father, give me your grace so that I can live what you have commanded us to live. And that's what the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ will do. And I also want to just say one last thing. If you're here today and you're kind of at the end of your ropes with any one of these places, would you seek out an elder or a community group leader and just confess that to them and say, I need help. Can you point me towards someone who can help me? We will do that, but we can't do that if we don't know what the needs are. Father, we thank you for your grace today. And we thank you that ultimately all of these roles ultimately mirror our relationship with you because you are the perfect father. Jesus, you are the perfect husband and you are creating a perfect bride and we are your imperfect children. You're making perfect. And so, Father, we recognize that all of our earthly homes ultimately point towards our eternal home. And so our confession today is we need you We need you to be grace-filled people. We need you to be loving people. We need you to be submitting people. We need you to to be obedient people. And so, Father, would you give us grace in direct proportion to our need 
And may every one of our homes, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're parents or not, may all of our homes look like homes that are befitting of gospel believers and Jesus followers. And we pray this in his name. Amen.